Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. A podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Tel Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. Hi, I'm Tel Luca. ABNP is proud to sponsor the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. ABNP membership gives massage therapists and body workers exceptional liability insurance, numerous discounts, and great resources to help you thrive, like their ABNP podcast, available at abnp.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen. More about that in a second. But even if you're not a member, you can get free access to Massage and Bodywork Magazine, where Whitney and I are frequent contributors, and so is our guest today, and special offers for Thinking Practitioner listeners at abnp.com slash thinking. Well, my guest today is Ruth Werner. Hey, Ruth, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you, Tell? I'm excellent. Now, Ruth, you almost need no introduction. And like I said, you, well, I didn't, I, I hinted, you also do uh, an amazing podcast with ABNP. What's the name of your podcast? My podcast is called I Have a Client Who, Pathology Conversations with Ruth Werner. Yeah. And it's quite different from the thinking practitioner in that it's just me. And it's quite short. It's typically around 10 minutes long. And people will send me their I Have a Client Who stories, and I just unpack them a little bit. And it's really, really fun. So be sure to listen and send me stories. I concur with all of that. You keep it so uh, focused, and you make it so relevant. And uh, you even take time and go back and clean it up with your editing, which sometimes we get to as well. No, it's very, I'm really impressed with what you're doing there, both your choice of topics and the thoroughness and your concision and all that process. I'm loving that. And then uh, you also uh, have a, at least one, you have more, don't you? Textbooks out or books, like with books of discovery. There's one of those, isn't there? Yes. What one is that? My book with books of discovery is A Massage Therapist's Guide to Pathology, and it's now in its seventh edition. And um, a lot of what we're going to be talking about today um, has been developed from some seeds that I planted in that project. All right. So I wanted to talk to you today about your recent article in Massage and Bodywork Magazine about critical thinking. But before we get into that, is there anything else you want listeners to know about you and what you're interested in who you are? Um, you know, a lot of people are a little bit familiar with me and my story. And my story is that I entered massage therapy in the early 80s because um, I didn't want a job that involved restaurants or computers. And that just seemed like a, you know, a decent path to go down. And I did not anticipate being so fully uh, absorbed by it. I, and I especially didn't anticipate being so fully absorbed by the science aspect of it, because I spent my academic career um, avoiding the sciences as hard as I could. I'm a theater major. But mm -hmm. when I found myself really connecting with understanding some of the anatomy and physiology um, no one was more surprised than me, and I take great joy in taking some of those really complex concepts apart and, and helping people rebuild them into their own versions of those complex concepts. Yes. And I was, you, you've been I was doing this for toward, say again. Quite, I said, saying you've been doing this for quite some time. 
I have. The first edition came out in 1998. Yeah. I mean, I've, I had known about you forever before we finally got to meet, what was it, six, eight years ago. But then, you know, world uh, pandemics and circumstances thrust you into a, such a key position, key place in our field, at least in the USA here, where you've really been uh, helping us through this time and helping us stay informed and collating and digesting what we need to know. So you've been really active, I know, during this last year, year and a half, whatever it's been. It has been a busy time, and I'm just so grateful to have had a way to be helpful to people because that's one of the ways we stay healthy is by finding ways to be helpful to other people. Okay. So critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, why would I, this is the question that you know I'm leading off with, why would I be in as a practitioner be interested in listening to a podcast about critical thinking or reading an article in in massage and body work about critical thinking it's um it's a terrific question and i don't have a great answer to it um i felt driven to 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 explore the topic because of my position as a as an educator and I work with a lot of educators and I hear a lot of people moaning about how nobody knows how to do critical thinking anymore and uh-huh. um and so that was you know that was one push another push is um I have one of the hardest things that I do is I am sometimes recruited to be um, a consultant or an expert witness or in some other way associated with litigation cases where a massage therapist has been um, accused of causing damage. And when I have to look closely at those circumstances, of course, the big question in my mind is how could this possibly have happened? Um, and and I so I see the consequences of people who are not necessarily thinking things all the way through. Um, That's really interesting. So yeah. the when you when these real life stories that you're involved in that involve some harm or at least a really difficult scenario that ends up in court, you see a breakdown in critical thinking as one of the themes there. It certainly can be. It's not always the case. And it's not always the case in these situations that the massage therapist was at fault, but sometimes it is. Right, sure. And and when we, you know, it becomes my job to analyze what should or should not have happened. And should is one of those words I use very, very sparingly. (laughs) But in the context of people getting hurt, you know, it's it's fair to do that. That's what we have in our vocabulary, maybe for those times. But so more about this question. Um, maybe the question is, why did you get interested in writing about it and uh, diving into it more? Well, um, another another interesting thing that happened to me a couple of years ago yeah. was I, 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 you know, I write a column for Massage and Body Work, and it's on pathology, and I had sort of run a little bit dry on pathologies to look at. So I, instead I wrote an article on specific client accommodations, right? We say accommodate for medications or accommodate for bone fragility or accommodate for whatever. And I, 
have, you know, since the beginning of my teaching career, sort of left that up to the student, the listener, the, the learner to mm -hmm. decide what that looks like for them. Partly because I'm not in practice, haven't been in practice for quite a long time. And when I was in practice, I was only fair at it. I wasn't, I wouldn't ever call myself a particularly gifted massage therapist. And so I don't feel I'm in a position to tell people what they should be doing. But I, I wrote an article to say, okay, let's analyze what these accommodations really are. And I started making lists. There's actually, there's a fairly finite list of specific accommodations. And I thought this article would be so boring and nobody would look at it and it would just be filler. And it was, you know, it was just something I couldn't think of anything else to do that time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it ended up being one of my most popular columns. And, and in that, and I got a lot of feedback on it and, and a yes. lot of positive response. And what I realized at that point was, it's not that people can't think for themselves, it's just that they want a little bit of guidance to get them started. And that's, that's interesting. Really here's, here's a tangent, by the way, sorry. Yeah. Here's a tangent. The One of the most trafficked pages on my website, I think it's like number three out of all hundred something pages, is the page that lists contraindications. <laughs> From, this is like from 20 years ago, too. This was like an overly simplistic list that we were handing out in class at the Royal Institute 20-something years ago. Robert Schleip and I put it together. That's the one that gets the most kind of search engine traffic over number three. You know, it takes a lot of interest. So people are looking for that kind of guidance. They want to know, tell me what I need to know so that I don't do something wrong or whatever. Right. And, and you know, I... Um... <sighs> I resisted giving prescriptive advice for a really long time because I don't want to limit what people consider as their options. Yeah. But sometimes just to give some starter ideas about, I mean, simple things like what's a good temperature in your room for people who are really sensitive to hot and cold or, you know, things like that. I discovered people really, really appreciate. It's not that they couldn't have come up with it for themselves, but they really appreciate being prompted in certain directions. And that's part of, you know, that's another thing that really um, pushed me to say, all right, what, what are the obstacles? Why are people having a hard time coming, thinking for themselves, thinking independently? And okay, so for example, ahead. like how to deal with a particular condition, how to make accommodations for a client condition, but even like how to set the temperature in the room. You'd like to help people think about those questions as opposed to giving them recipes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, love it. That So that got you interested. Yeah. And so... Um, and you I, just wrote a big article about it. I did. Interviewed a bunch of people. And did a fun video of that, but also did a really thorough, I thought, job of kind of breaking it down. Uh, and I got to say, though, I, I'm a fan of both of you, but also of the topic. But I hear a lot from, uh, you know, uh, colleagues, students. Uh, this, is, this is like daunting mm -hmm. or... Uh, it even makes me nervous. I, I'm putting, you know, I'm giving voice to this hypothetical practitioner. It makes me nervous to to uh, have to think everything through. Can't you just give me some steps to follow? It all seems so <laughs> vague, you know. Well, uh, yeah, 
it, it, it is vague. And one of the things I discovered when I first sat down to try to figure out how to convey ideas about critical thinking is that there is absolutely no agreement on what that means. What critical thinking means. What, yeah, what critical thinking is. I mean, yes. the, the, the guy who ran the Critical Thinking Institute said critical thinking is thinking about thinking so you can think better. And, yeah. you know, how there are actually some, some tidbits within that little soundbite that, that are kind of useful. But, I mean, that's just a little clever um, one-off. Yeah. It's not right. actually that useful. <laughs> Well, no, it's not useful. It doesn't tell me how to do it, but I'm just thinking about that for a second. And you're, but what you're saying there is that it's actually some, some process of reflecting on how I'm thinking or how I'm making decisions or how I'm deciding uh, what's what I consider true or what judgments I'm making. Yeah, and what you just said, the, the word you just said, Till, that I um, honed in on the most in this was the reflecting part. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You know, it's not that hard to come up with a pretty simple statement. Critical thinking is using facts to make decisions. Okay. Yeah. Right. Cool. But it's it's actually, that's not complete. Because if we don't then look back and reflect on whether that was successful, yeah, then we're not achieving the goal of critical thinking, which is basically to deliver, in, at least in the terms of a clinical setting, Yes. For me, the goal of critical thinking is to be able to deliver safe and effective massage therapy so that our clients have a good experience. Hmm. And then what I, so then I think I got the reflection piece from your article. I mean, it just resonated with me. That's the, that's one of the distinctions you made. You said it's, it does involve stepping back and looking at having, having some self-witnessing capacity to understand how I am making the decisions I'm making, whether it's like where to start my session or what to focus on, or even how warm to have my room. It's not just the decision that's involved in critical thinking, it's understanding how I make that decision and what might be involved in that. So. Yeah, and we don't have to analyze every tiny bit, but I, I have developed some basic no, kinds uh, of steps. Do you some wanna... of us like doing that, but no, but <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> that's one way we make it less daunting is to realize, no, we don't have to analyze every single step. So every little piece, but you have some steps you're saying? I do. I have a few, I have some, I have some basic steps that we can just walk through because as we continue this conversation, then we can talk about what, where people might get hung up or stuck. Let me, yeah, I want, I want your steps. I love them, but let me just squeeze in one more question first if uh -huh. I could. Let me try it. How would I know if I wasn't uh, using critical thinking? I wasn't thinking critically. Um, I think there are some good answers to that. I mean, one, one would be your client's not getting better, oh. right? You're not, you're not moving. You're not helping your client move toward their goals. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Which, but, but another is, go ahead. You get I'm bored. bookmarking that. I'm sorry. I'm bookmarking that <laughs> mentally because you said two things, client not getting better and client not achieving their goals, which is, I is so related to your first step, but anyway, right. Uh, yeah, we have to right. remember whose goals we're, we, we need to be addressing here. I'm um, jumping all over you because I'm excited here about this. <laughs> so what other signs would there be that Oh, the other that I know? think is true is that you get bored. Uh-huh. You know, if you're not keeping yourself mentally engaged in your work, yeah. then um, everybody's getting shortchanged, you and your client both. Getting bored, losing interest. Yeah. 
doing the same thing, doing, um, you know, cookie cutter things. And, you know, truthfully, I don't think probably that most listeners to the thinking practitioner are people who do recipe based massage. But there oh, are nice 300 to say it's nice of you to say, but uh, go ahead. There are what? <laughs> there are something like 300,000 massage therapy practitioners of various titles in the United States. And the, yeah, okay, so I've heard that number two. And then we have a lot of people that don't identify as massage therapists, other sorts of manual therapists as well. Yeah, all right, so let's broaden ahead. that. Yeah. And some of them do recipe-based sessions. Uh-huh. And if their client or patient is not making the progress that they are looking for, that doesn't always change people's approach. And right. to me, that's a, that's a big lack of critical thinking that leads to poorer outcomes. Yeah, this is such a central question to like people's development in, in terms of mastery in their craft. How do we really get the results that mean something to our clients and mm -hmm. you know sustain us through the years or decades of practice? But also as educators, how do we help people, how, help practitioners use the information we give them in a way, that, like you said, it's not cookie cutter? Wow, and that is the hardest question for me as an Yeah, educator. right. Well, and then it goes back to my start, which was at the Rolf Institute. And Rolfing had this deep paradox of being a recipe-based mm -hmm. system, uh, but in but imbued with some principles and this dialectic, this kind of tension between those two points of view, are we following protocol or are we extracting and applying the principles was really a fundamental schism right. in the whole subculture within the rolfing world and led to, or it was a big part of it, one of the early political splits that was happening when I was teaching my first class there where basically some of the senior teachers went into one school, some stayed in another school and it was a big crisis for the community. But it was around this question, should we be sticking to the protocol or should no we No matter be, what. No matter what. And if, if you're not getting the results, it's because you're not that good at the protocol yet. You know, or the there's something this. wrong with your client. Uh, perhaps, yeah, maybe. That was one point of view. And the other point of view is, well, should we be educating people in critical thinking or applying the principles behind the protocol so they can understand it? And they both had really uh, compelling passionate supporters behind mm -hmm. them. So this is this is a personal one for me too. Anyway, I'm distracting from your steps. You got some steps. <laughs> yeah. So the first step in many ways is the hardest one, which is to identify what the question is. Mm. Um, be, part, and partly that's hard because we may come in with a, an implicit bias that our client, because this is our target market, that our client is coming in for relaxation. And that is often the case, right? That the goal or the problem or the puzzle is, I just need to relax. That's a great goal, but it may not be enough information on which to base a strategy. But the, well, the other thing but, is, go ahead. Um, oh, well, I'm sorry. It's but you, even if you've named that, I think you've gotten farther than uh, a lot of people do. Or at least so many times when people come to me for supervision or even on our, our social media forum where practitioners are bringing cases in, mm -hmm. so many times the questions that come have skipped that first step of why is the client coming. Right. 
they go right to like, what do I analyze and what do I work on so that I can fix it? And we don't even know yet what, why the client's there and what they consider to be the issue. Well, and even the term fix it is, is right. problematic for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we have to, I mean, this is my paradigm. That's another thing I should say about this till is, is Tell what me. I'm sharing here is, is Ruth Werner's pointy headed filter about what critical thinking should mean in a clinical practice. Is that what you titled your article by the way? Uh, no, <laughs> but I talk good. about my own bias throughout because we cannot step outside of our own bias. What we can do sometimes if we're careful is recognize it and acknowledge it. Yeah. So my bias, which I am recognizing is okay. the therapeutic relationship must start with the client's goals. Okay. And the client's Great. goals and the therapist's goals may not be the same. And if, you know, mm -hmm. the, the sooner you realize and recognize that, then the sooner that conversation needs to happen. And it might be that the client's goal is to have fewer headaches. So of course you need to work on my head and my neck. And the therapist may say, yep, I want to help you have fewer headaches too. And I see some other things in your body that might be contributing to these. Yes. There needs to be a meeting in the middle. So that- a, That's right. There's at least an episode around that, kind of, that question of yeah. client goals, our goals, negotiating those, finding alignment, etc. Right. Right. So but is that the essence know, of your first step? You're identifying the essence the of the first step is figuring out what the challenge is. Yeah. And and another thing to bear in mind, especially with long-term clients who we work with over a number of sessions or a number of years, is that those goals will change uh -huh. over time. Yeah. And today it's my jaw hurts. And you know, six months ago it was my hip feels weird, right? So, you know, those goals will change over time. The second step. I just got to, sorry, I'm, Go I just got to say one more thing about that because I'm, <laughs> this is I'm awesome. so, I know I'm so passionate about this first step, especially there's, if I don't know what I'm focusing on, how am I going to know if I did it? Right. If I don't know what the client wants out of it, how am I going to know if they're satisfied? It's so tempting when I know a lot of analysis or assessment to jump right into that and mm -hmm. look for, say, the movement thing or the structural thing maybe, or even the pain thing and think that's my target when I haven't even gotten a sense yet of what the client considers to be the disturbance. And I'm, right. I, I'm fond of saying I work on disturbances. I don't work on uh, movement patterns, pain patterns, or structural patterns. I, I help people with their disturbance. So I want to know like what's bothering them. And that word bothering is really important and and the the idea of bothersomeness yeah um is 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 now used in in research about yeah. dealing with chronic pain because mm. you know there are some circumstances where pain is just not going to go away but what can change is how bothersome it that's is right. that's right? right so um yeah so that this is why i think the first step is sometimes the hardest one is is delving into what the client really wants to have happen both mm -hmm. out of the session today and out of their relationship with you as a whole yes um you know because those aren't aren't always the same thing um okay but then your second step okay second step is identifying the relevant variables right it's it's figuring out okay so now i know what we want to do is help Ruth with her headaches and I'm not having headaches, but you know, just, let's just say, um, the variables that will feed into that will be things like 
How much sleep do they get? What kinds of meds do they take? What are their day activities of daily living? What are some structural postural things that might be a part of this? Um, and, you know, speaking from my pathology hat, what other underlying conditions might be contributors, right? Yeah. So those are identifying the relevant variables. And within that, we need to be good at figuring out where to get useful information. And that's like a whole different thing, information literacy. So that's, that's I think of that when I read that or you know, in your article and hear you talk about it, I think about that as I want to identify all the possible contributing factors or contextual things that might be part of this disturbance. What might be playing into this and giving right. you? You're saying right. uh, relevant variables, uh, but yeah, what might be th um, givens or circumstances or contributors to this, where we are today, what's happening right now? Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. Okay. Yep. The next step um, is really something that needs to be done all the way through, but I just stuck it in here because it seemed like a good spot, which is to challenge assumptions, huh. right? To go back and make sure we really understand our client's goals and we haven't misinterpreted that, you know, according to our own bias to make sure that we go back and, and we really have gathered the key information that's going to help us make some decisions. So right? so checking on okay. those assumptions is something that we need to do. I like the idea. No, I like it. Uh, on a practical level, that sounds like just active listening, repeating it back to make sure that we see the nonverbal signals of agreement that, yeah, we got, I got it now. Mm -hmm. Are there other practical ways sure. I apply that idea of, of check, challenging my assumptions? Yeah, absolutely. When we in 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 the second part step where we're trying to gather information, yeah, we may only gather information from the resources that agree with us. So, mm -hmm. for instance, if if I'm living with chronic headache, and you want to figure out, you know, some things that you might um, add, you know, put in your strategy. It's mm -hmm. a use, this is where evidence-informed practice comes in and we look at what the evidence says. What does the research say? And it might be that there are, there are aspects of my headache or aspects of your work that are a great match or a less great match. And you know we don't have to make this stuff up all on our own. There's a lot of work has been done for us that we can use as a stepping off point. So when we challenge assumptions, you know, to me, what that means is look at what other people have done to see if there's something we might not have thought of that could be useful. Okay. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I'm just thinking as a practitioner, I'm obviously I'm probably not, at least some, you know, sometimes I actually do this now that I say it, but I'm not going to say, hey, hang out a second. Let me Google that, what you're telling me and see what the other, see what the evidence says about this. Sometimes I'll do that in that moment, but usually I'm doing that between sessions. Well, and a nice thing about this whole process is is the the our our um, experience of critical thinking can grow and deepen as we spend time with people. You don't have to walk in your first session, yeah, knowing all the things, right? Right? It's or even evolve. come up with all of the responses and answers in that in that right. first session. Anything? Yeah, yeah, right. that's right. No, I mean, okay. you know, the, the most important thing is not to hurt anybody, but 
And that's the safe part of safe and effective work. But the effective mm -hmm. part is growing our understanding and our knowledge through our experience, but also what other, you know, other people's experience that mm -hmm. will allow us then to bring our best to the table. Yeah. Um, and then okay. the next step is to then, you know, now we're starting to think about what strategies you're going to use. So you have a whole, you know, you have a whole, say, structural assessment, postural assessment, movement assessment thing that you use maybe to help you make some, uh, create some ideas about ways to help your client. Um, and that's wonderful. That's when we start putting those, those plans together. But in, within this, we also need to consider alternatives. And, and for me, the most important question here is what have I missed or what am I leaving out of my ideas that might help this person? And again, okay. that's something we may discover as we work together over time and, and things progress. So we've identified the question. We've identified the variables. Those are steps one and two. Mm -hmm. Step three was challenging my assumptions. Mm -hmm. Now stepping back a little bit. Your fourth step considering strategies that is that the same as my plan yeah is that it's similar it's it's the sort of the pre-planning what i want to try yeah what i, <laughs> what I think i might want to try right and okay. then in the next step it's the it's actually making the plan and executing it that's step number five that's yeah, the okay. that's the session step number five is making the plan and executing it okay yeah. um and that's all great that's awesome but it's not finished because oh. What for me, one of the most important parts of this whole business is then evaluating whether what you did was useful or not. Step six. That's that's step six, and that's the reflection part, right? Yeah. We hopefully we are reflecting on our process all the way through. But where the rubber hits the road is if what we did helped our client in the way they were hoping to be helped. So here's where you loop it back to what they were looking for, or what you agreed upon that you're working on. You're saying, did did my plan mm -hmm. move the dial at all in that way? Did that have exactly. some results we want? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. And we don't know that. We won't know that unless we um, chart and take notes and conscientiously track progress and update about what our clients' goals are as they move through time. Um, and ask our clients what they're experiencing. Yeah, exactly. And ask ask our clients to pay attention between sessions to what happens and to come back to us and tell us about that. Mm -hmm. There's lots of information that we can gather that helps us reflect on our results and loop back and, and basically test our hypotheses. That's precisely it, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, I think massage therapists with all the goodwill in the world do some of these, but not most of them. Mm -hmm. And I get, mm -hmm. um, I get really frustrated when I hear about massage therapists who don't take notes or who take really, really cursory notes um, because they are losing out on the opportunity to really see what their work is doing and their clients are losing out on the opportunity to uh, to have better results. Mm -hmm. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. And this, yeah, I, I'm with you. And I, I hear so often, I'm just thinking of the things I hear back from practitioners and students. It's like, it's hard to know what to write down. 
Should I write down everything I did? Should I write down everything they said? Should I write down everything I think there is? I mean, there's a whole art to the yeah. note taking and recording. Of course, it's been, you know, kind of systematized in various ways with soap notes and things like that. But it's, uh, I'm also just thinking my own notes tend to be pretty short. It's usually just a couple of sentences. Here's what I, here's what they said, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, what they presented with. Here's some things I think it might be and things I tried. And then I actually do make a note. Here's what I want to check in with them about next time. That's that's the P part of the soap notes, right? Your plan for next time. Plan for next time? Okay. Well, it could Great. be the plan for this time as well. You know, I, t- I was talking, one of the people I interviewed for that article was yeah. Diana Thompson, who yeah. is the queen of charting. She was our, I think, episode three guest way back yeah. when. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that she talked about with her own note-taking is is how that time, that experience of sitting down and reflecting on the session reveals to her a lot of what her strategies really were, right? Mm. So you can begin saying, you can walk into a room saying, okay, based on everything I have figured out about Ruth and her headaches, I I think she's going to need some special focus to this part of her body and Mm -hmm. mid-session be guided in another direction because that seems to be you know, yielding mm-hmm. some better breathing or some better responses or, you know, however you want to track that. So tracking, noting the places I want to investigate more because of responses I saw mm-hmm. or want to investigate more. Yeah. The other, I mean, the other note that I make for myself, I don't know if this fits in your steps, is really what do I want to go learn more about? What do I want to research now? Because yeah. often they'll mention something that I don't know about. I got to go check out Ruth Werner and see what she says about it. <laughs> yep. For example. Great. Okay. So those are your steps. Those are, those are the steps. And, you know, I put this out here not to say this is what every massage therapist needs to do and exactly in this order at oh, all. Not That's not my intention. <laughs> my intention is to provide a starting place so that maybe people might be a little more systematic in yeah. the way they approach problem solving. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may come up, you know, list our listeners, the readers of the article, whoever may came up, may come up with entirely different ways of thinking about this process. But I think the steps are going to be more or less, you know, identifying the problem, figuring out what's going to go into solving this problem, and then seeing if you did it. Yeah. What what, um, hesitancy, reluctance, or even objections do you hear about this? I can help if you don't have your own list, but um, the main objection that I run into is people just not engaging, not feeling like this is something that is meaningful or important. Yeah. You know, when this article came out, I kind of expected to hear a lot back on it and I have heard nothing. Okay. Uh, let me make it up then because I, okay. I, I know what you're referring to, I think. And certainly I hear things that I can put in that category. For example, I... Here's here's a hypothetical hesitant uh, reader of your article okay. who says, you know, I just prefer to work intuitively. Ah. I don't want to think about it so much. Right. I don't want to have to make it so linear. 
I'm actually more of a holistic person anyway. And I just, you know, I get a feeling for stuff and that works out really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. And, um, I have opinions on intuition and I think you and I till probably don't completely agree about it. But... Right on. Okay. <laughs> Go for it. Let's hear it. Well, I, you know, for me, what intuition is, is thinking really fast. Yeah. Right. So when your hands are someone are on someone and even I, as a pretty mediocre body worker could put my hands on someone and then feel drawn to where they are wishing my hands would be. Right. Yeah. 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 And, um, can we call, do we call that intuition or do we call that an ex- a combination of my experience that most people really wish that they were being touched around the, you know, superior angle of the scapula? Yeah. Um, do, you know, is it, am I sensitive enough to feel difference in the density of the tissues and that's, what's going to draw me there. Um, I, I am inclined to go with the latter, right. That I'm not just drawn intuitively to where people want my hands to be. It's that this is a combination of several factors, including long experience. And there's, you know, it's not by accident that intuition gets better with experience. It's because Uh we've learned some things to anticipate, but we have to be open to those, to intuition being incorrect. Um, And in situations where clients are dealing with complicated health issues, um, being driven by incorrect intuition is not just not that helpful it could be potentially problematic. It could create problems. Okay. Um, and so, you and know, so just, so, just so I know that I'm tracking you, the way I would know my intuition was incorrect is by one, their problems might, yeah, it might be, ca- might be causing them problems they didn't have before, or they might not be getting better or getting the results they want. Yeah. Okay. That's an example. All right. So you're saying that intuition in, in your view is knowing something really fast, putting it together really fast and based on experience probably. And um, experience and sensitivity that we don't always process in a conscientious way. Right. Yeah. So when you put your hands on somebody's back, you can feel where the tissue is dense and where it's less dense. If you sure. put your hands on somebody's knee, you can feel the difference in the quality of the tissue and where your hand, you know, where you feel invited uh-huh. to get a little, to, to, you know, to offer a little more pressure. Okay. So why, I'm curious though, why did you think we didn't agree? Well, when I asked you in our, in our interview, I said, yeah. so what do you, well, let's, let's talk about intuition. What do you think intuition is? You said uh-huh. intuition is, I have actually have your quote. It was so fast. It was like instant. This intuition is knowing something without knowing how I know it, or it was very similar. Knowing without knowing how I know. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing without knowing how I know. Right. And, and, you know, maybe we are in agreement, but my, my interpretation of that is knowing something before I know how I know. But if you go back and look at it, Mm -hmm. you can figure out how you You got from point A to point C. No, I don't think we disagree at all. That can happen really fast. But it's essentially a no, my definition for myself and maybe, you know, is, is a sense of knowing without necessarily a deductive process behind it that I was aware of. So it's and what my you argument, said about conscientious. It's what you were saying about not, yeah, the conscientious, you said, process of getting there. I may not be aware of that, but there is a sense of knowing that I often get, and I'm not, 
you know, going through six steps to get there. I'm just, I just got it. I feel like you said, it's a direct sensory experience. Sometimes I feel something, but sometimes I just get a sense as well. Okay. Well, and my argument is that the more we become aware of how we come to that knowing, yeah, the more accurate we're going to be. Yeah. Right. The better, you know, and you can call it intuition or you can call it thinking fast, but the better we're going to be at it is if we analyze how we start. Okay. So you've you, this, this hypothetical person that says, Hey, I'm just, I'm not that linear with my stuff. I just kind of feel it and do it. You're saying you're going to get better if you can analyze how you got there. Absolutely. I, yeah. I will stand behind that all day long. Okay. And that doesn't mean you have to be, I mean, there's, there's, there's decision paralysis, right? Where you overanalyze and overanalyze and you, and that, and that interferes in your being able to be present and responsive and in the moment with your client. And that's a, that's a problem. That's sort of going too far. That's getting over analytical and Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the, maybe some behind of the daunted response. Like I get, I am just daunted by having to analyze this complex situation my client's giving me in any kind of systematic way. Why don't you just lay down and let's do something. Yeah. But we want to make sure that that let's do something is going to be safe. Mm -hmm. And the more, you know, the, as we explore and test hypotheses, there you go. We're going that, which is the essence of doing science, right? We're going to get better at bringing our clients at, at solving the problems that they have asked us to help them solve. Yeah. Well, yeah, the essence of doing science is forming a hypothesis and then testing it. Mm-hmm. But even if, even for those listeners who are not identified science fanatics like you and me, uh, it's the, I think it's the essence of a kind of self-teaching cycle that we do as practitioners. It's the essence of staying on track with our clients, don't you think? It's the way we know that what we're doing is relevant as we go along. It's that reflecting cycle all along the way. Yeah, and so I appreciate you're saying that because I wanna, I wanna say to our hypothetical listener who, who is not crazy about the linear analytical kind of approach that could be interpreted here, uh-huh. is that this framework of identifying the problem and figuring out how to help our clients as they work on solving this problem, that is holistic. And the steps are just a starting place to make sure we're covering some important bases. Mm-hmm. But the um, when you put it all together, it's really three-dimensional because we need to challenge assumptions. We need to try to identify our biases. We need to reflect on whether we're being effective all the way through the session, but also all the way through the the therapeutic relationship. Mm -hmm. And to a certain extent, I mean, all the way through all the things, all the way through our life. Right. When when you and I had our had our interview, I, I looked back and saw it was on January 11th. Okay. And I asked you, what do you think critical thinking is? And you said, I think it's one of the most important. I think you said the word problem facing huh. our profession and our world today. Huh. And yeah. I, I was yeah. I was reflecting on that because it was right after the 6th of January. Mm hmm. 
That's right. And we're all still reeling about the effects of mis and disinformation. And um, uh, right, and shared realities and disparate realities. Right. Or, you know, trust in sources and distrust in sources and all those implications there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, these principles about making decisions based on on reliable and trustworthy and complete information that sounds simple it's not simple but it's so important mm -hmm. now when it comes to you know helping your client with headaches or knee pain or whatever that's a little cl more closed and mm -hmm. uncontroversial mm -hmm. but when it comes to making decisions about all right well cdc just changed their guidelines about masks now what do i do Yesterday. It gets a little more. It gets a little more complicated. There's a bunch of variables to weigh into that. Yes, that's right. And then, uh, you know, that's that is so topical, timely to what's happening in the world, and it's so complex, in a sense too, because there's so many questions around sources of information. How do I know what to trust? Mm -hmm. There's so many uh, questions around bias, implicit bias, but also say, uh, you know, cultural perspectives. And, there are some uh, important on on. Um, ethical and legal questions, too, about are we allowed to ask if our client has been vaccinated or is that a violation of their privacy? Uh -huh. Are we allowed to um, defer treatment of a client if they haven't been vaccinated? Right. Um, you know, those are complex questions that don't have don't always have simple answers. No. Um, and so we have to come back on critical thinking, right? What are the variables mm. that feed into my decision about using masks or not using masks, about being vaccinated myself or not, about mm. creating policy about vaccinations for clients or not? And some of those variables are things like what the law says. Right. And, and maybe the fact that we are, we have different opinions sometimes than our clients too, mm -hmm. or different, even different realities, different sources of information, different worldviews than our clients. Right. Huh. Okay. So then we challenge our assumptions. We consider our strategies. We plan and try something. We check it out, see if it worked. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's that last, you know, well, this is our repeating theme today, isn't it? It's that last reflective piece that I think makes the difference between critical thinking being effective and it just being um, uh, 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 an intellectual exercise. Okay, so just, yeah, we're, we're, I think we're winding down, but just on the way out, uh, what, what do we know about uh, developing this? Is this a skill? Or is it a style? Is it a personality style? Am I just like a more left brain person who likes to analyze stuff? Or am I just a more right brain person who would rather feel something and go for it? Or is it something that people learn? Or is it, you know, what is it? Yeah, there is. In the, in the people that I interviewed, I had different opinions about whether critical thinking can be taught. Yeah. Um, I think some people are are more comfortable being linear and analytical and other people are more comfortable being Mm, three-dimensional and holistic okay. and there's not a value judgment on either side of those All right. but I, I, my opinion just my opinion is we really 
get the best benefit out of getting the best out of both of those approaches, right? That it is possible to be analytical and holistic. It is possible to be driven by compassion and critical in not in the sense of saying bad things about people, but critical in the sense of analyzing carefully strengths and weaknesses in our approach. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that those things have to be um, exclusive of each other. A, 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 an interesting problem and one that I have not begun to address for mm-hmm. educators who who ostensibly try to teach or at least demonstrate critical thinking Mm-hmm. Um, practices is how to evaluate it, right? How do you evaluate someone's ability to do critical thinking, especially in a massage setting? That is, um, you know, if we're going to agree that teaching critical thinking is is important, let, let me take a step back. If we're going to agree that doing critical thinking, the ability to think critically about clinical decisions is an important skill for massage therapists to have, uh-huh. then that seems like something that needs to be addressed in their education. If we're going to address it in their education, that means we need to be able to evaluate it. And the, the problem with educational models is that, it, you know, the easiest things to evaluate are yes, no, true, false, multiple choice, black and white questions. That's right. um, and uh, that critical thinking does not lend itself well to multiple choice questions. <laughs> Ask yeah. me how I know. So... <laughs> Ask me how I know. And yeah, and also my ability to reflect on how I decide things. Yeah. That's yeah. what we're how talking do we about, I think. And, the, and the, the application that you've chosen in our conversation and your article is really how does this apply in a manual therapy session to client considerations? How do I decide as a manual therapist what I'm going to do and how do I track the results of that along okay. the way? Right. So, you know, the textbook, the A Massage Therapist's Guide to Pathology, the, the, the subtitle is Critical Thinking, Practical Application. And huh. in order to really fulfill that, that's, that was where all of this began, was I, I, I wrote a, a short piece that was sort of a, a, a germ of what became this article in Massage and Body Work, um, laying out why it's important and how it can be applied in a practical setting. And then, and then I have examples or exercises where that might be applied in every chapter. Um, but I think anyone could take a sample client, mm-hmm. like the guy that we, that I, that I created the fictional person I created for the article, who's someone who has knee pain and he really, really doesn't want to have surgery. And so he wants to see if massage therapy can help. And, you know, and there's just uh, some really, it's not that complicated it's as complicated as you make it basically, mm. right? Mm. But there are some tangible steps to get people started on the process of thinking about what, A, how can I help this person? And B, how can I know if my help is successful? If I, How can I know if what I'm doing is, is actually achieving that goal? That's great. Give us the full name of the book again. A Massage Therapist's Guide to Pathology. Published, published by, Books of, by. Di- Books of Discovery, our friends at Books of Discovery. <laughs> right. We're going to get to their uh, sponsor announcement in a minute, but we'll go ahead and put a, a link in the show notes to Thanks. that title, etc. Well, okay. So if, are there ways I can assess my critical thinking abilities? 
Do you know of any, like, are there any assessments or interesting methodologies around that? Um, I have not been able to find great resources about the assessment of critical thinking skills. Yeah. Um, you know, okay. so I think for me, and in terms of, from the point of view of a, of a body work or a manual therapist, a body work practitioner, yeah. um, you know, some of those assessments are going to be based on what, what am I learning every time I work with somebody? Am I, am I open to learning new things? Am I open to being surprised? That was a, that was a big point that you made. Mm. And, um, you know, and are they getting better? Are they getting the results that they hope for? Yeah. Right. And, and am I still interested in my work? <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like it. Am I still interested in my work? Does my work still light my fire? That's a sign that, yeah, yeah, I got it going on. And at least in this, this domain we're talking about, about the critical thinking is one word for it, but we've, we've covered a lot. We've applied it and we found ways that it's really useful and clearly relevant to what we're doing. Whether you think of yourself as a linear thinker or a holistic thinker, right brain, left brain, et cetera, uh, upper, lower, middle, or back, front brain, whatever you, you prefer. Well, what would you uh, what would you leave us with? Any further thoughts? And I got I got that one more question about applying, but any other further thoughts you want to make sure we cover? I think I'd just like to reiterate that it's not an either or kind of situation, and I think that critical thinking and intuition are not at odds with each other. Ah. I think that linear thinking and holistic thinking don't have to be at odds with each other, and we really reach our best when we when we focus on the things that each of those processes, each of those paradigms or sort of points of emphasis have to offer that, that, that fit together. Nice. So what's, what, what homework would you give somebody that was interested in refining this or what awareness practice? What would you, what's something that people can do? If they want to go further with this. You know what I would love till is, if people would maybe take this practical application exercise that's in yeah. the article yep. and apply like it page, to... By the way, that's page 60. I'm looking at it right here. Thank you. In Massage and Body Work, uh, what is this? The most recent issue, May, June 2021 at the time of recording. So, yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So you, they're going to take your sample critical thinking practical application exercise. and Yeah, and plug in any client, maybe someone with something simple to start uh -huh. and, um, and see what that process looks like, because I bet that most of those steps are in place. You're just not recognizing them. And the mm -hmm. more you recognize them, the, the better you get at figuring out where you might be leaving things out, figuring out where your bias might be limiting your point of view. Moshe Feldenkrais, hard to do what we want if we don't know what we do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nice. And um, and another thing I'd like to invite is is for people who have, you know, who look at this process and say, that's nuts. That's crazy. That's crap. Here's how I do it. Because I would love to see that. Oh. Um, <laughs> that's an open invitation to contact me with your version of critical thinking, because I think this is a discussion that could go a lot further. Cool. How would people do that? How would people contact you? Um, best way would be through my website at okay. www. 
www.ruthwerner.com. That in the show notes as well. As uh, anything else, any other resources you want to name on our way out here? Would love to just point people toward my uh, um, growing library of online one-hour self-paced continuing education courses. Um, they're inexpensive. They're really good. Right now, uh, I have one up for helping people get caught up on the latest information about COVID-19. The next one that's going to go up on uh, probably next month will be um, a, a massage therapist guide or a massage therapist introduction to pharmacology. Um, and I'm building a library of those. So would love for people to check them out. RuthWerner.com. Yep. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Ruth. Thank you, Till. Conversation. Nice to catch up and nice to develop some more here, you know, for myself, more understanding about how what you're writing about and what you're thinking in terms of critical thinking. Such an important and seemingly complex, but actually pretty fundamental topic to how we work and how we learn. I agree. All right. So our closing sponsor, Books of Discovery, who published the book you mentioned before, has been a part of massage therapy education for over 20 years. Thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. In these trying times, this beloved publisher is dedicated to helping educators with online-friendly digital resources that make instruction easier and more effective in the classroom or virtually. Books of Discovery likes to say, learning adventures start here. They see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast, and they say they're proud to sponsor our work, knowing we share the mission to bring the massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances the profession we share. Check out their collection of e-textbooks for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, and physiology at booksofdiscovery.com, where Thinking Practitioner listeners can save 15% by entering thinking at checkout. Thanks to all of our sponsors and stop by a Whitney site. Whitney, by the way, we didn't give you this shout out at the beginning. Whitney's going to be here next week. This is I know this is a topic that's near and dear to your heart, Whitney, so we missed you today. You're going to be back next episode. Whitney's site where you can get the handout and show notes, academyofclinicalmassage.com. My site, advanced-trainings.com. Again, you can get the full uh, episodes of those. Any questions you want to hear us talk about, email us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or look for us on social media, just with our names, Whitney Lowe or mine, Till Luca. Follow us on Spotify, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen, and please tell a friend. Well, thank you, Ruth Werner. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Till Luca. Anytime. <laughs> All right. See you later, everybody. Bye for now. <laughs>